Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast, Season 2. I'm your forever coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and we are all here weekly to share the ups, downs, and all-arounds of the wild world of parenting. A safe space, a Lego-free space, to vent, to inspire, and well, perhaps this is the only adult conversation you hear all day. What is Adia doing? A, B, C, D. <laughs> is that funny? So each week, I will be joined by a fellow striving, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We learn together. We grow together. Hell, we cheers with an adult bevy when necessary. I get it. I am human and failures simply happen. I am not shiny and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am at its best. Even when the dishes aren't done, there's crayon on the wall, and well, my hair hasn't been washed in forever. I am Busy Mumsy. Happy almost Christmas, my beautiful Busy Mumsies. Ash here. I mean, can I get a jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock? Yeah. Okay. I mean, are you ready? Isn't that always the question? Are you ready for the holidays? We never are but we managed to get there. (laughs) Well, today I am super stoked to welcome Emily San Jose onto the Busy Mumsy podcast. She is a fellow American who is thriving, striving, and surviving Parentville in Madrid, Spain. I want to know how she's doing it. I want to know how she is holding down the fort, full-time job, and also handling her social media account, um, Mom in Madrid, definitely check that out. But also, I really want to dive into how she handles cross cultures and kind of, you know, making things nice for everyone on both sides of the family for the holidays. How is she doing it? Let's find out. It's time for a Busy Mumsy Chat. Emily San Jose, welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I'm super excited as that is a lovely American voice I am hearing, but you are not based in America. Where are you? No, I am not. I live in Madrid, Spain right now. Yowzers. Yowzers. Yeah. yeah. I've, never been, I've never been to Madrid, Spain. Is it? Is it quite awesome? Oh, I love it. I don't think I could live anywhere else besides where I'm from and here, honestly. I've, I've traveled around a lot, but Madrid has my heart. Now, where are you originally from, though, in America? So I'm from Portland, Oregon, possibly the farthest that I could be from Madrid. (laughs) I love Portland, Oregon. I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole like we don't need a therapy session that my one of my ex-boyfriends from many moons, many lifetimes ago was from Portland, Oregon. But what a freaking cool, hip city. Yes. Yep. I am super lucky between Madrid and Portland and just Oregon as a state in general. Uh, They're not bad places to have to reside or to have family. Are you an outdoorsy person? Um, (laughs) Medium outdoorsy. My mom, my dad, like my whole family is super outdoorsy. I grew up camping and skiing almost every weekend. I still love to ski. Um, but like, if I had to choose between a hotel and camping, I'm more of a hotel girl, but, um, high fives to that, (laughs) you know what? And especially with kids, like it's just a lot of work camping. It is. 
No, it, it, it well, you know, just traveling in general with kids is a lot of work. I, I why would you voluntarily add dirt and yep. bugs and uh -huh. insects and you not being able to control the temperature? I'm yep. sorry, I am not a hook, line, and sinker to that. <laughs> Me neither. My mom's probably shaking her head right now listening to this, but love you, that, mom. <laughs> that is a okay. She can judge away. Yes, she can. <laughs> This is an unapologetic platform. So if, I, yes. if I'm really not speaking my truth, I'm not speaking my truth. True that. So, she knows, at this point, she knows that about me. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Well, Emily, I want to go back well before Mama in Madrid. So that is, um, everyone, this is Emily's um, Instagram account. It's her TikTok account. She's got massive following. I fell in love with her platform, therefore reached out. And here we are having a, having a busy chat. So as, a, as an American, I have to say this, like 70% of Americans do not have passports. <laughs> very, very common thing. Like it's a very high number. And I know yeah. a lot of people do not believe this, but it's very, very true. Yeah. When, how, what, what was kind of like the spark for you to travel? Because I'm, I'm going to speak on behalf of myself and the East mm -hmm. Coast as we mm -hmm. just like we have all four seasons. If we want heat, we go down south to Miami. We want to go up north. We head to Maine for a lobster roll. Like we, you know, we just kind of hit it all up in all those directions. Yeah. So where was it for you to like want to travel kind of like not just spring out of a state, but like spring out of the country? <laughs> so this is, got, we have to go way back then. Um, my grandmother was a French teacher. So my mom's mom was a French teacher and my mom's father was a musician. They had a love for arts. They actually were located on the East Coast before moving out to Oregon, but that's, I digress. Um, they had a love for arts and for Europe and for France in general. They lived a part of their life in France. My grandmother studied there and then came home and taught French in the U.S. So Growing up, I was surrounded by that because that influenced then my mom, who then influenced us, and we spent a lot of time with my maternal grandparents. And so just watching old-time movies with my grandma or talking about her travels in France, I always thought she was just the most stylish person in the world, which she was. She was also a beautiful singer, so she just had this whole persona that was very European-esque, and I loved that. So I think that sparked something in me way back when I was a child. Then growing up, my family, we traveled as, as much as we could. We, you know, we went to Mexico and we um, would go to different places, like the East Coast. We spent a lot of time on the East Coast. My uncles lived on the East Coast in New York. So we traveled in that sense. And then the first chance I had to go to Europe was in high school with my French class. And I went to high school in my French class with my still very best friend, um, and I, it was just eye-opening and I loved it. And something always called me back to, to Europe and to the lifestyle. And, um, and so I think that's kind of where this, um, spark for travel and for specifically Europe was really created and, and what cut, where it came from and what eventually led to me making the decision to, to move here back for the first time in 2013. So you, you made the move. Uh, did, did you move for a job or did you just like, <laughs> I'm just like I'm, I'm going to just like rip the bandaid off. I'm headed to Madrid. I'm just going to do it. 
Yeah. So 2013, I was finishing up my degree. I was finishing college, about to graduate, and I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Um, I had studied psychology, but I just, I just wasn't sure. But I did know one thing, and that was that I wanted to travel. I did not have the funds to do what a lot of my friends did at that time, was to basically just take off and backpack for three months around Europe after college. I didn't have that opportunity. So I was like, how can I make this work? Um, I had had an acquaintance from where I was from who had been an au pair uh, in Madrid, actually. And I had been watching her on, I guess it was Facebook, probably at that time, maybe Instagram was just getting started, but I think it was mainly Facebook. Um, and I was like, you know what? That's a really, that could be a way I could do this. I'm really great with kids. I could be a nanny and I could travel at the same time. So I started meeting with families. I interviewed with a family in Australia. I was very close to going and living with a family in Italy. And then I ended up um, with a French family in Madrid. So that's... Wait, do, do you speak, so you speak French? I would say I used to be able to hold my own in French because I studied French all through high school. As I mentioned, my grandma was a French teacher, so she would give me like right. little lessons all growing up and whatnot. Um, and then I moved to Spain thinking, oh, I'll just get by with my English. And that was not the case um, and a very American mindset uh, of how I thought I was going to get by. And um, we're back to the whole travel thing. Us Americans, we're like, eh, we're good. We don't need to leave our country. Yeah, it's, it's kind of that, that same mentality. And you can think of yourself as being a worldly person. And then you go abroad and you're like, no, I'm American. I'll be fine. And you're like, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, yeah. It's on every corner. We're going to be fine, Emily. Exactly. It's like, okay. Um, so I quickly learned that that was not the case. Um, and so I, I started taking Spanish when I moved here for the first time back in 2013. And I think... With now, now I speak fluent Spanish, um, and, and I'm very proud of that. But I think now that I've I've sort of replaced what was French in my mind with Spanish, and my wow. capacity is like no more. We actually were in Paris last weekend, and I was trying out some French, and I was like, I remember nothing, nothing. So Spanish, I speak Spanish. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. 2013, you moved to Madrid and you've never looked back. Well, yes and no. Um, 2013, I moved to Madrid. And then shortly after, I met my husband. So it's, it's kind of a funny story because I, I left Oregon with a college boyfriend. And I arrived in Madrid and I was like, you know what? No, this is my time to be an individual. Broke up with a boyfriend. Spread my wings and rode off life. men, right? Rode off men. Three weeks later, my husband walks into the picture and I'm like, well, I mean, I guess I could just give it another chance. <laughs> yes. So, wow. yeah, it was pretty crazy. I met my husband then, uh, I guess it was September of 2013. And, um, you know, from 2013 to 2016, we dated, we lived together in Madrid. Um, got engaged and then and then we actually decided to move back to the states in 2016. So we moved back to the states in 2016, which is when we got married and then lived in the states from 2016 to 2021, so about 5 years. Had both of my kids there, which in hindsight I'm like what were you thinking? 
um, when I could have had them here, but that's a different story. And then 2021, after we had basically spent two years without seeing our stepson, my stepson, because of COVID, um, we decided it was time to all be together. And we had the ability to move back to Spain um, to be together, the five of us. And so that's that's when we decided to move back here. And um, we've been here since. I want to go back to something <laughs> that was a little bit of a, of a touch point of having your kids in America. Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in America, a very small town in Moundsville, West Virginia. And my reason why I did not have my daughter in America was because we were living in London at the time. And when I fell pregnant and when seeing that through, I always envisioned after I'd moved to London that this was home. This is where I wanted to raise a child because I believed it was a safer environment. Never did I think that we would be looking at a situation that we're, we're looking at now. Mm -hmm. Now, with you saying, oh, and hi, are, are your reasons is because of safety that you didn't want, like really, oh, I wish I would have had them in Spain, or is, is there something further than that? So I think that's one of the reasons why we're here, for sure. I think that I actually, before <clears throat> I made a career change, worked as a teacher, Um and so I, I lived with this fear every day and I lived with this fear for my kids as well. And so that was that was definitely for us um, a factor that played into things in terms of actually the birth, giving birth in the U.S., the process around it. Um, there are just so many more benefits as a mother and as a family that you receive from the government here when you have when you give birth. So just starting with a paid maternity leave. Like I took off from being a teacher. I was given, I think, 12 weeks of unpaid leave. Um, so you have basically three months to figure out how to have a newborn child, but you're not being paid in the process. And so that as a family, we were a new young family. It's a hard hit to take. And then add in the medical bills that you have to start paying right after because both of my kids were C-sections. Um, so I think there's a number of those factors that play into it. I'm now more aware of what I could have received here in Spain because I have friends who are having babies now or have had babies and have told me about their experiences and whatnot. Um, and so for me, I think that's something that I'm, I'm done having kids for us. We're done having kids. But if, if I were to have another child, I would definitely want it to be, to be here. And can you speak a little bit further about what you have learned about living in Madrid and what Spain offers aside from paid maternity? Because I think there was a bit more, I know it was like recently, like in the Daily Mail and everything that you have spoken about, like there's way more just beyond just like, like yeah. the mom's taken care of, like she is seen through like for almost a full year of, you know, physical, mental, like supervision and everything. Yeah. It's actually the mom and the dad. So both partners at this point are, um, and I don't want to put my foot in the mouth because I know there's a lot of legislation around this and I haven't lived it myself. So what I know is from talking with friends and whatnot. Um, but so I know that mothers receive what is 16 weeks of paid maternity leave. And then on top of that, you have, um, a breastfeeding or like lact 
uh, lactation leave. I can't, the word in English isn't coming to me. Emily, you have to understand like hundreds of thousands of women right now are booking their flights to Madrid. They're, <laughs> they're going to start flooding in to have their yeah. children. Well, and then the crazy thing is that in Spain, in comparison to a lot of other European countries, um, like I know in Denmark, I think they get a lot more there. So Spain, actually, I've had people commenting like, yeah, well, Spain actually isn't that great in comparison with other places. And I'm like, you know what, coming from where I come from, this yeah. is a major step up. So you have four months for the mom, the dad will also have four months and then, um, or 16 weeks. And then you have an extra 15 days for what's considered like breastfeeding time. Um, and then actually before you give birth, if you have anything that's like a high risk pregnancy or you're at a job that's maybe a little bit more strenuous, like I as a teacher with my first Henry worked until three days before I gave birth. That means I was on my feet all day long, huge and so uncomfortable. Couldn't leave the classroom to go to the bathroom because I had 28 kids in my room and under my supervision. And it was miserable. I was miserable. And here, if you, I I don't know anyone that's worked up until that close to their pregnancy because there's something here that's called Abaja, which you can go to your doctor and say, you know what, I'm feeling A, B, and C symptoms. I'm really kind of, or I'm under stress, or I'm having this, that, and the other thing. And they basically provide for you what is the ability to take leave, paid leave from work before you give birth. Um, so many, many, many women have time off before and then after. And so it's, it, it depends on how you organize yourself, but, but essentially a baby could be home for at least the first eight months of their life, more or less, and depending how the parents organize. I, I have to say, I, I had my daughter like right before COVID. So I like, I just feel like I kind of got like the good end of the stick and the fact that like, we were just at home. Like uh -huh. I was working virtually and like everything was there and she was like right by my side in a bouncy bounce. But the, the thought of having to physically leave the space and commute and do all of that, mm -hmm. I, I don't think I could have handled any more layers than what I had already handled in that given time period, right. I right. must say. And um, yeah, I you know, the, the back and forth between how it is in the UK compared to America, I think it's like, you know, same apples kind of, or, you know, different basket, but like pretty much the same apples. And I know that there's so many... Uh, men and women that advocate for this to, you know, try to change legisl uh, legislation and try to get their voices heard so that the paid time off and the mm -hmm. the re-nourishment of our bodies that need to happen after having a child, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I lived both situations with, with my first, I lived the full, <laughs> I would say American experience. I had for me, I, it was a very traumatic labor birth situation, um, and and I essentially did not recognize that I had a child until a week after he was born. So there were a number of complications with that um, that that then I had to get back on my feet and ready to go and be back in a school building two and a half months later, and you and it was after a C-section, so that's a major surgery. You're still, Major. you can still feel the incision after two and a half months. You are still like 
I, I had it as well. And I, did you feel, I, cause my husband asked, he was like, so what did it feel like when you first like lifted up and you like had to do the walk from the bed to the door oh to just prove like you are oh super mm-hmm. I, I felt like my spine was going to like drop through my heels. Like it was so bizarre, like standing yeah. up that first yeah. time. Yes. I felt uh, like I just remember a super intense burning sensation and basically feeling like I was going to rip into to, to keep, to keep things growing. What's like really wild is that, you know, like tabloids and news newspapers, like they take the the side of cesarean and they glamorize it and they make it as if it's like the easy route out. And I say this because I I actually just finished watching the David Beckham uh, Mm -hmm. Mm documentary on Netflix. And of course they bring up, you know, posh having her baby and Victoria Beckham having her baby and that she was too posh to push. And so she had a cesarean and I like literally was flipping off the TV because like, you know, to go back to all of those articles, I mean, this even goes back to like the, you know, the body shaming of women in the nineties and how prevalent it was in black and white in, in glossy magazines, you stood at a grocery store. I remember being a young teenager then in the nineties and looking at this going, that is what I have to be. Yeah. I have to have a gap between my thighs. I have yeah. to see my ribs. I have to see my collarbone. And that is what I'm aspiring to aspire. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, so going back to cesarean, it's like, that is not the too posh no. to put root. It is very much a real thing. And it is a recovery. It is not, it's a privilege and it's mm-hmm. not a privilege. Yeah. Cause it can be and- a real privilege, but it's also not everyone's birth story and birth plan. Totally. And the whole too posh to push thing. I don't know if people understand that a cesarean oftentimes is much more of a recovery process than a a natural birth. So choosing that route, which I actually did choose that route with my second because of the experience that I had lived with my first. And it was so traumatic. And I had so much anxiety around having that happen again that I said, you know what? No, I want to go into this knowing what's going to happen. And that for me was planning a cesarean and my doctors were hundred percent behind that decision for me. So choosing that option, it's not the easy choice. It's not the easy way out. It's, it's, it's not at all. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think I hope that tabloids have, have improved since, since the nineties, but I think you know, now often we see a lot of these like body types that you were talking about. That's now kind of what we're seeing more in social media versus in our face at the grocery store. But I also see a lot of body positivity accounts that are coming up and parents that are more educated on the situations like you and I who lived through it and we don't want the same for our for our children. So my hope is that that's had somewhat of a positive outcome and that it can be different for, for my son and my daughter. Massively. Well, being yeah. that you've got two biological kids and one stepson, how is yes. you? You are you are quite the busy mumsy. How yes, are you actually juggling? Because you have such a huge platform through Instagram and TikTok, and now your kid, your 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 stepson is older, so therefore mm-hmm. he, he's got social media. But is it your son that's also like? Is he like eight or nine? Is he like he's six? He just turned six last week. He's not grabbing the phone yet and and wanting to see what the latest trend is. No, trends, no. I think, yes, will he grab a phone and try to watch YouTube videos or whatnot? Absolutely. Um, 
social media with my our 15 year old is definitely more of a prevalent conversation and and something that we try to set an example for ourselves which i will admit is hard for me to do with the account that i have to not be like on my one of them yeah how, how are you managing that and then what are you finding that you need to put into place for your younger kids sure so how am i managing that i'm sure i can manage it better Let's amazingly just- well, Emily, you're doing amazingly well. <laughs> I'm sure I could do better. I think what's most important to me, my kids are in school from nine to five. So I do have a full-time job as well. So I am working nine to five um, myself, and then my kids are in school and I'm managing this, this social media account. Any breaks that I have, we have an extended lunchtime in Spain. So I, I have an hour in the middle of the day that's dedicated to filming and to editing content. And then my, what I really try to do is that five o'clock when I pick up my kids until after dinner time, at least when they're going to bed or they're in bed, not be glued to my phone. So easier said than done. Ideally, I would love to put my phone in my bedroom, close my door, and then just be a hundred percent there for my kids. I do not do that every day. I will not lie and say that I am a perfect example of what should be, but that is what my intention is and what my husband's intention is well, because I think it's hard for kids to understand the difference of what we're doing on our phones, because I'm not sitting there 95% of the time when I'm on my phone, I'm editing content or I'm planning content, I'm emailing or I'm working. I'm not consuming nearly as much social media or content as I did before I had this account. My husband, on the other hand, 95% of the time when he's on the phone, he's working while trying to be with the kids at the same time. But the kids don't see the difference. They don't know that that's what we're doing on their phones. They just see us with this device in our hands. And so then they think, oh, we should be able to do the same, right? So So what we're trying to do is just completely put the phones away and step away from it. Um as much as we possibly can. There are times where we have to be on their phone. There are times where I need to, I have a deadline that I need to make or I'm working still or I'm answering emails and my kids have to see that and that's what I explained to them. How do I then manage social media screen time with my kids? And it's purely through routines. It's not, it's not an easy task, I think, today in our society because they're just surrounded by it all the time. But my kids know now, and we've gotten a lot better about this in the last year because we've really made an intentional step towards reducing that, especially with my six-year-old. My two-year-old, no interest in anything at this point. She's like, I want to color and write on the walls. But the six-year-old, he has his routine. He comes home from (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't know if you can see the chair back there with the purple marks. That's from last night. So Yeah. Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah. Keep them busy. Exactly. Literally. And, and so with, with my six-year-old with Henry, he comes home from school and he knows he's not just going to run to the, to the sofa and turn on the TV. He's going to sit down his backpack. We're going to have time for homework. He'll have a snack. We'll probably go to the park. And then once he's done everything he needs to do, that's bathed, eat dinner, whatever else his homework was for that night, then he has 15 to 20 minutes of TV time before we move into our nighttime routines. That's how we're trying to do it. And the only success that I've had is just consistency in a routine for management and being strict and being hard at times, honestly. Yeah. 
but I mean, that, that's what you have to, it's like, it's creating the building blocks and the foundations mm -hmm. for them to have a, you know, a sustainable, a, a future that has accountability. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you really, but one thing that you said, and I am fascinated by nine to five school. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So because my daughter and I wake up at 615 every day on the dot and we are out this door by like 725. Yeah. Yeah. And it's three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> That's impressive. Um, it is. Again, but but we're on clockwork. So I, I high five you right. and I absolutely agree with you if it wasn't for a schedule and like, and I have help. Mm -hmm. So, so my amazing nanny like helps out and we, we have a very structured schedule with her and we know like what the mornings, like I do mornings and I mm -hmm. like there is TV, there is it, this yep. is, it's like well-oiled machine, yes. if you will, mm -hmm. right now. It just mm -hmm. works. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the, if we didn't have that, there's no way in hell she would wake up at 6.15 yep. in the morning. No. Um, yeah. Things here just are later. Uh, everything. <laughs> My kids go to bed at 9. So, yeah. I just got a good two and a half hours of sleep under her belt. Right. Yeah. And that's actually what it was in the U.S. as well. But I it, it is impossible for me to get them in bed before then. So I guess when I say bed, we aim to have them asleep at nine. We are in bed reading around 830. And then and then nine o'clock is when when they're asleep. But yeah, school is longer here, but they have longer breaks midday. So school start at nine uh, and then there's two classes and they have about a 30 minute recess break. They have two more classes and then they have an hour and a half lunch break. So in that hour and a half, oh, they wow. eat they play outside. My son actually takes classes uh, in the middle of the day. So he'll take a piano class and has a soccer class in the middle of the day at school. And then they have from three to five, the last two classes of the day. And that's when we pick them up. Wow. It works out. I like that schedule. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually, it's, it's a bit more conducive to an adult and their actual nine to five jobs. And like, yeah. again, you're, you're more supported and equipped to be a, an adult, a human to take mm -hmm. care, to take care of and raise a child. So good on, good on Spain, man. I'm applauding from Uganda for, for Spain. <laughs> well, yeah, now, yeah. so, so being that, you know, you are, Back, you've been back and forth for the past 10 years and you've now you're putting down roots more long term back in Madrid. Well, good old Christmas is a few days away. So so, so let's dive in. All How right. are you? Because I feel like I feel like America Christmas is a bit cray cray and mm -hmm. I don't know what Christmas in Madrid would be like. So like, how are you like? merging the cultures? How are you handling family? I saw a little bit of this on your Instagram already. <laughs> you know, I, now that I have you on a microphone, I would love to really hear how you're handling all of this. How am I handling all this? Um, One day at a time. <laughs> so I guess I'll start with family. I am lucky in that my mother travels quite a bit and she comes and she visits us frequently because we have not gone home to Oregon for the past two years uh, at Christmas time. So we're lucky that my mom and my brother generally come at Christmas to see us. Um, 
and that I have my Spanish family is extremely welcoming. And so blending the two families together is seamless. Um, for tradition, one of the biggest things that is interesting for us and something that we've had to figure out is that, and if you have children listening to this, maybe they should stop now. Um, is the, <laughs> because we're going to talk about Santa and we're going to talk about the three kings. So in the U.S., we have Santa Claus. And Santa Claus brings us our presents on the 24th or the 25th, depending on how you and your family have it worked out. In Spain, we celebrate the 24th and the 25th, Christmas Eve and Christmas. But Santa really isn't the one who brings gifts. It's the three kings or the three wise men. So it's much more aligned to the biblical story of Christmas than the U.S. perspective on that. So I obviously grew up with Santa. AKA the, the Hallmark version. Right. <laughs> I obviously grew up with Santa. Um, my husband grew up with the three kings. So how do we then not have two Christmases and, but make sure that both days are special for our kids and that the kids have their own set of feelings towards Santa as well as the three kings. And that has been a challenge. Um, we have decided that here in Spain, we are going to do Santa. So 20 for us and for our family and my family, we do Santa and Santa is who brings the gifts to our home. And then when three Kings happen, which is, I literally can never remember. I think it's the sixth. I can never remember the date. That's how bad it is. I think it's the sixth that the three Kings come. Um, and the three Kings only bring one book to our kids when they come because they bring a few other gifts to my in-laws house. Um, so it's just this orchestrated chaos and balancing expectations and balancing cultural traditions that are important to both of us and that are important to both of our families because that's a whole other aspect that we're constantly taking into consideration is how is my spanish family going to feel about this and how is my my us my american family going to feel about this so the holidays are definitely an interesting time. We both really try to have both of our traditions shine through. My husband is amazing and loves my traditions, loves including them all. So he's really the one that's like, okay, and tell me another tradition. Tell me what you want to do with the kids, which is really great for me because I'm more of like a, I'll organize from the backseat and just like, we'll see what happens kind of a thing. But he really brings it out of me. So that, that works out really well. Um, and then my husband was like, you know what? I have to say this because I know that he listens to the podcast. I wish, I wish Make my notes. husband loved Thanksgiving more than he does, uh, aka remembers it because I just uh, love Thanksgiving. Like, me give me a stovetop stuffing, like, give me all that food, but like, just like the smells and like yep. the, like, I have such fond memories of like the table being set yep. and like, that warmth and that like yes. uh, I don't know like Campbell's hug like it's I love that it is and it's just like this is kind of like that kickstart into the holiday season is mm -hmm. is Thanksgiving mm -hmm. like every year I've been I've been with my I've been with my Ricky for 10 years <laughs> I love him to but every year it's huh it's today 
<laughs> what? And I'm like, just remember, this is Let's my favorite. Oh, mine too. And it's actually one of the hardest to be away for, right? Mm. Like, I don't know if it's for you, but Thanksgiving for me is the hardest one to be away from the States for. I you know, am- like for me, like, cause I moved out of the house as a teenager, like, like right out of high school. And so, but I always like surrounded myself with people that like loved Thanksgiving. So like, mm-hmm. I never missed, I always felt that like beautiful table and the, the warmth right. of friends and family kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't really, it wasn't until I moved to London that it was kind of like, and peace out. We're yeah. just going to forget this date. <laughs> I know. I, we actually, this year, the day of Thanksgiving, we never do anything the day of this Thanksgiving. This year, we actually, we went to a circus and we went out to dinner with some friends and the dinner was quite late and it was on a school night. And it was the least relaxing Thanksgiving I've ever had in my life with my kids. I was like, get me out of here. These kids are going bonkers. My, my friends are a couple and they don't have kids and they're the sweetest souls in the world just for putting up with the shenanigans that happened that night. I was like, this is a shit show. This is like, take me home, put me to bed. But we have a redo this weekend. I'm cooking the meal on Saturday for my um for my family. So I will get the meal done uh, late, better late than never, but you know. Better late than never. And that is A-OK. Yep. Well, as you are striving, thriving, and surviving through busy <laughs> crazy life of Parentingville. What have you learned now about yourself that you definitely did not see in yourself early on as an, as a mom? You know, I think I, oh, that's a good question. What am I? What have well, I you're learned? also very organized. And I, I have to say, I, I feel like you've just been organized your entire life. So, mm-hmm. so I don't know about that. I think I'm like a chaotic organized. Ah, I, I refer to this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like, it's one of those things that I'll get it done. Things will get done. My kids will be where they need to be. They'll generally have what they need to have, or I get done when I need to done to get done, but it's, it's chaotic to get there. It's, it's not a, it's not a, an organized, like nice and calm all the time. It's kind of like a chicken with a head cut off organized. Um, But I think what I've learned about myself is that I'm a lot stronger than I I thought I was and that I think I am still because I see it in these kids. I see it in the life that I've chosen to live. So I live in a country that is not my own. Every little act is a little bit more effort for me than it would be if I was in the U.S. So that's grocery shopping, driving a car, going to the bank, signing my kids up for classes. It's all just that much harder because this is not where I'm from. I don't I'm not 100 percent familiar with how everything works. I don't know the types of foods that I want to buy all the time or different recipes or whatever it is, it's, it's just this extra effort that I have to put into my daily life that I think a lot of people would probably take a pretty big toll on. And I think it does. And I think it's one of the hardest things about living away from your, how your home, where you're from, is it just kind of builds up this, this difficultness of just your everyday life. Um, 
And so I think in that sense, I'm, I'm stronger than I thought I probably was. Um, being able to be here, not just as a 23-year-old recently graduated from college, no worry-free, kind of carefree lifestyle. I now am a mother of three. I have a house. I have a job. I'm running the social media account and building a community there. And and so I'm, I'm proud of myself in that sense. Um, and I don't think I've really said that out loud, but I, I'm proud of what this, this community is that I'm building. And I'm also, um, I'm, I'm proud of the strength that I, that I'm not sure I, I knew that I had before I, I put myself into this situation. Oh, I love that you said that as it is no small feat at all. What do you hope to see over the next couple of years for your social media platform? Any hopes, dreams, aspirations that you would like to grow Mama in Madrid into? Oh, you know, I just, I'd, I'd love to keep growing in this community because I think there's such a, a niche for it because it's it's not your typical, you know, lifestyle. Look at my decoration in my house. It's, I'm talking about living out, out of our comfort zones. I'm talking about being a mom, but also being myself. Um, and I think it's really important to distinguish between the two because I am a mom, but before I'm a mom, I am Emily. And I talked about this the other day on my social media because I had a comment that basically was telling me like, you need to be a mom, stay in your lane. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I am a mother, but before I am Emily, and Emily has likes and dislikes and relationships and girlfriends, and and I have children. And children are such a huge aspect of my life. Um, obviously, they're probably the biggest aspect of my life, but they don't define who I am. Um, and so I want to be able to continue to create this community that is positive in that sense, that women have this place that they can come, or men, or whoever it is that want to be there, um, that they can come, they can see a normal average, average kind of chaotically organized life and, and find some, something to relate to. Um, and maybe they're thinking about moving abroad. Maybe they're living abroad. Maybe they just moved to a new town. Um, it's all the same sort of feelings. And I hope to just continue to build this community and, and I'd love to hopefully do something that can get this community get together. I don't know what that is yet whether it's in Madrid, whether it's traveling or trips. Everybody, every expecting woman across the globe, Emily, is moving to Madrid. They're already booking the tickets. Yeah, well, you know what? The food is amazing. The weather is amazing. The people are super nice. If you love fashion, it's a wonderfully fashionable and beautiful city. So I don't blame you. And that's I'll be I'll be right over, Emily. Don't you worry. Perfect. Well, Emily Perfect. San Jose, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, your words of wisdom, and sharing your beautiful journey on the Busy Mumsy podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. It was so fun chatting with you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Did you like it, Adia? Yeah. Oh, the enthusiasm. I love it. Please share your love by giving us a five-star rating, a rockin' review, and please share with any fellow Busy Mumsies. We love hearing from you. So if you want to get in touch, head to the Busy Mumsy show notes for further details and links to the Busy Mumsy website. So long for now. Can you say bye-bye, Adia? Bye-bye, Adia. <laughs> 
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.